Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. This is Lee Cohen here, and... Wait a minute, that's not Rick Pruce. We've got in the studio with us again this week, Dr. Will Schultz from Schultz Veterinary Clinic in Okemos. And uh, Dr. Schultz, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's just too bad Rick's not here, but... Um, I'm trying to grow my beard as fast as I can to catch up with Rick. You're I don't never going to do it. I tried for a year. <laughs> I had one. Everyone called me Father Christmas's older brother. And bottom line is, now my wife says to me, I like you so much better after Just you got rid shorter. of it. No one can do it like Rick. But yeah. unfortunately, uh, Rick has got other business he needs to attend to. We understand that. So we'll try and carry on without him. But once again, Dr. Schultz, I'm happy to say I got a another show that is right in your wheelhouse because I'm not going to make you talk about chickens. I'm not going to make you talk about things that you might not necessarily know. Instead, we're going to talk with one of the most knowledgeable people in the world when it comes to dogs. It's David Fry, who is the previous announcer for 25 years at the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. For 22 years, he's been doing the National Dog Show on Thanksgiving Day on NBC. He is literally a celebrity. He's, no he's even done Sex in the City. So, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> so, we're going to talk with David, but we're not going to talk about the dog show because instead I want people to get to know, having talked to David enough myself, this is a very intriguing guy. Whether we, we don't need to preview the dog show yet. We'll do that on another show, but instead we'll preview David Fry and what's his background and how did he become the icon that he is. And you would think that if you're an announcer for a dog show that you live your life for the dog show. And David Fry has done many, many things with his life Way, way, they're all involved with dogs. Um, but his history of the dogs, it's going to be a very good show about that. But his ability to work with dogs for therapy dogs, is, and he's written books. Um, this is a really deep person. This isn't just a just. This is not just a voice that you think of on TV. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, what got this whole thing started was uh, he he put a post on his Facebook page talking about what was he going to do with the checks that he had received uh, from his TV appearance. Yeah. And when he started talking about the amount of money they were, I instantly went to the Seinfeld episode. Episode that was out there where Jerry kept getting 14 cent uh, checks yeah. from an appearance on a show in Japan. Yeah. And, and everybody out there thinks that if you do a, a show, that you get these residuals for the rest of your life. Well, you do get residuals for the rest of your life, but. You're not going to retire on them. That's the difference. <laughs> no, uh, you you certainly won't. But uh, it will be a humorous show because one thing I can tell you is David is not your typical 
what I would describe as dog show type. I mean, I'm guessing that when he drinks beer, his pinky is not up in the air. Uh, I'm actually thinking he can drink them with the best of them. And his beer probably has a little dog hair in it. Too. No, no yeah, kidding. Right. And he comes from more of a sports background than anything else. I mean, he and I have mixed it up pretty good when Michigan State and Oregon were going at each other. Go green. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, he's, he's an interesting guy. I think you will very much like him. Excellent. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's also when you get to the point, too, that I'm still amazed that, that you can do the things that he has done in his life and then write a book, too. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, that's no, good. He he is an industrious guy, and frankly, uh, it it should be an interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to speaking with them about what's going on because the one thing I can tell all of you who are looking for job, I've had I've had Michigan State students. How do I? get into a yeah. job working with animals and frankly the veterinary school is I, I won't say overloaded but it's pretty darn full it's with a, people who want to work with animals right. but people would love to do what he does and I guess the advice that he would give if I asked him is probably take French in high school because <laughs> – A lot of the French breeds are hard to say the names. Absolutely. And one of the things he gets teased about a lot is the fact that he can pronounce all the breeds that all the rest of us look at it and think it would make a good Scrabble word. But outside of that, I can't pronounce it. So, so it should be an interesting show with David Fry this week on the MidMichigan Pet Expert talk show on 1320 WILS. For the latest news and information on animal care, it's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Dr. Schultz, we have with us on the line a returning guest. Uh, he's actually probably one of our oldest guests that we've had on the show, and I don't mean in years Older. on Earth. <laughs> I mean on the fact that he was with us. Our show started in January of 2000. 2010, and in February of 2010, uh, he was on this show with us talking about the Westminster that was taking place that year. And David, correct me if I'm wrong, that was a significant show because it was Sadie, the dog of the Mussers, who owned the Michigan Grand Hotel, that won that year, correct? That's right. Yes, Sadie was a great winner. She'd actually... Uh, not only won Westminster when it was in February, and but but uh, right before that in November she had won our national dog show on Thanksgiving Day. She's uh, and, and I think she also won the AKC show. So, so she's one of um, very few uh, dogs that won what what I've defined as the triple crown: um, the national dog show, Westminster, and the AKC national championship. So so she was quite a dog, and the Mustard, of course, have been a long time. Uh, folks in the dog show world, and and uh, and as, as your audience will know them from uh, being the owners of the Grand Hotel. Uh, of course, Mister Musser is passed, but uh, I think she's still around and, and being involved. Yes, she was one of our clients with many really really nice dogs. And if you go up to the Grand Hotel at their bowling alley north of the hotel, they have. It's completely lined with show winnings, the the big uh, 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 cups and the big flowers and the big um, uh, bouquets that she got from the shows. It's really interesting to see all of her dog show winnings. She's been, she's been a great 
part of the dog show world for a long time. She's uh, her handler uh, has, has been uh, Gabriel Rangel from L.A., right. who's uh, the, ter- the terrier guy, kind of taking over that that title and that role from Peter Green, the, the legendary and inimitable Peter Green, who's the best dog guy in this country. Well, David, that's partly leading to where we want to go with this conversation because there are so many people who know your voice. The second you talk, they instantly hone in and they want to hear you mention some of these French dog names because you do it so beautifully. But the truth is people don't really know who David Fry is. And one of the things that I think is just fascinating is the story of how you got involved with dogs and dog shows in the first place. Share for our listeners who might not have heard the story, how did you get started in doing this? Were you just able to say the Vizla so beautifully <laughs> that they gave it to you? Or Those Mexican names are even harder. Exactly. I mean, oh, they're great fun. I, I had fun with the French ones, too, and uh, I had French in high school, so I used that oh, as a story man. one year that um, as we were talking about the PDGV, I said, yes, the Petit Basse Griffon Vendéon, and, and uh, my partner, whoever it was at the time, uh, Mary, probably Mary Lynn my, was my partner for six years at Westminster, Mary Carrillo from NBC. And uh, I threw that one out there, and she said, wow. She says, that's like perfect French. And I said, well, I don't know if it's perfect, but I think my, my high school French teacher, Mrs. Bach, would be quite proud of me. <laughs> and Absolutely. That was, whatever year that was, it was, you know, I was several years removed from high school, and I'll be darned if the next day on Facebook I didn't get a message from Mrs. Bach. <laughs> Not me. Call me hallelujah. So uh, we have a lot of time. I'm indispensable because I'm the guy who can say those names right. But, uh, my original involvement, and it's not to be sexist about it or anything, but I blame a woman. And uh, I'd never had a dog. We never had a dog in our family growing up. And I moved into my own house in college, and my girlfriend said, let's get a dog. And I said, well, oh, well okay, I'm 20 years old. I'm going to do whatever the girl says, right? And uh, so I said, okay, what kind? And she said, how about an Afghan hound? I said, I have no idea what that is. But okay. And so we, we found we, we found an Afghan hound breeder in Eugene, Oregon. And we got an Afghan hound puppy. And three weeks later, the girl left and the dog stayed. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to, to all three of us, probably. And uh, that went off from there. When you're walking around town with, a, with an odd breed, a rare sort of breed, um, you end up meeting everybody else in town that's got an Afghan hound. And, right. So I met a few of them. Uh, they dragged me into some puppy matches. Um, I moved to Washington, D.C. to be in the Army for three years at Walter Reed and took my Afghans with me and met some uh, great Afghan hound people there. And uh, they got me a little more involved with dog shows. And after three years in the Army there, I came back to the West Coast and, and uh, was got involved with showing dogs. And uh, married up into a level of involvement that was pretty competitive. And, and we had the top... Afghan hound female in the history of the breed. So, you know, coming from having no idea and suddenly, you know, eventually being the, quote, the dog guy, um, and I don't mean to usurp anybody else's credentials or titles, but, um, you know, it's quite a difference. And then the Westminster people found me. I was, uh, I was doing, I was traveling around the country with Zuni, our Afghan, 
<laughs> and, uh, and and the Westminster people said, "Hey, we're looking for somebody to do our TV." And this was at a time that I had uh, uh, I had worked for the Denver Broncos and the 49ers in a PR role, so they thought maybe I could do some TV for them. I said, "Well, I said I'm, I have not been an on-air guy, but I've been around all these great TV people uh, in the football world, so." Uh, I, I kind of feel like I know a little bit about the topic, and I think I, I bring the right personality and tone to, 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 to be involved in a show like this. I wanted to get out and show people that these were real dogs and that we are real people, and that um, you know they're just like anybody else's dogs at home. They shed on our black clothes and sleep on our couches, and probably even drink out of a toilet once in a while. And uh, and that was my objective, is to show that we were real people, that we just sort of dress our dogs up, so to speak, and take them to dog shows on weekends. And and, and yada, yada, here I am. I, I guess 33 years later, um, I'm still doing it. And I, I just say I thank the good Lord every day for bringing me this great life and this great world with uh, with and because of my dog. When you started uh, showing your Afghans, were you handling them, or did you have a handler? How did you do that? Last weekend we handle. had a good show about a, a lady whose daughter's a handler. Just curious. And I was showing my dogs at first, but, but when I married into it, I married a great handler and oh. a person with a great history in the animal world. So, well, what happened was we got into an argument about I mean, we were, you know, we were breeding Afghan hounds, and we had a particular litter that we were arguing about which one was the best puppy to keep. And uh, and and my wife at the time said, "Well, I've got a great pet home for her in Salt Lake City." So this dog's not going anywhere. <laughs> I said, "I'll keep showing her." And so and so uh, and she had had the other one was devoting her time and energy to the other one. And uh, so Zumi was winning some, some best puppy things with me, one occasional point from the puppy classes. And I went fishing one weekend instead of going to a dog show. So my wife took her to a dog show, and she won a group from the classes to finish her championship. And, and I laugh about it and say I never got my hands on the dog again. So, <laughs> okay. And that's the way it should have been. She was a great handler and uh, knew the sport, knew the breed. So I became a PR guy for my dog, and we built this great record on her, and uh, nice. and and had quite a quite a time with her. I've I've seen some uh, marriages with difficulties when they're both people want to handle the same breed, and I think in the success in our practice that we've seen is when they one has one breed and one has another, and a lot of times I'll have, and I know you've had them. I've had a client with Roddies and uh, Cavaliers. So you couldn't be any further apart in the rings for a while. So you two are never going to see each other unless it's best in show. And and, and, and there's ways to keep keep it going. And, and I think when you're both fighting over the same dog, I see the point. And back off, let her yeah, do it. Yeah, well, well, we see it all the time, too. I mean, we have a lot of professional handlers who are married couples. Yeah. And they end up in the same ring every once in a while. And and they just say, you know, there isn't much we can do. And Michael and Michelle Scott, two of my favorite people that have been involved with the Mussers, too, I think. Um, but they are a very successful handling team. And they're both great handlers and have been for years. And grew up in the, and both grew up in dog show families and became very successful, great handlers. And, and we did an interview with them on the National Dog Show uh, on NBC, um, presented by Purina. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my little sponsored plug there. Yeah. We 
Um, but we did a little interview with them, and, and uh, Mary asked them, she said, well, which one of you is the best handler? And and, Mary, and, and Michael was quick to to Michelle. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> says, says, oh, he says, she is by far. Yes, dear. That's <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're both great handlers, and they're both great people, which is what makes it fun. And one day she'll win it, and the next day he will, and the next day neither one of them will. So it's... Uh, it's a competitive sport whether you're competing against your spouse or or a hated rival. So <laughs> we have that going for us. Now, David, when you first started doing this and you're coming from a sports background in terms of broadcasting, how different was it? Uh, did, did you miss the excitement and the competitiveness of sports, or are a lot of us would we be surprised at the level of competitiveness and the excitement that go into the dog world? We're pretty competitive in the dog show world, but you know we always say, and it isn't always true, but we, we I oh, I always say that uh, the best dog show handlers, uh, the best dog handlers, are invisible when they're in the ring. You're not supposed to notice a guy's sequin jacket or a woman wearing some beautiful outfit from Ann Klein or whomever. And uh, you're supposed to be concentrating on the dog. And so uh, the best handlers make their dog the object in the ring. And and that's what makes it fun. But, you know, I was in sports. I grew up in sports. I grew up in a football coach's family. My dad was a football coach at the University of Oregon for 17 years. And, uh, and, and and I thought I was going to grow up to be a baseball coach because that was my sport and that's that's what I love to, to coach the kids in. And uh, I really thought, as I say, my I thought my career path was a, paved with astroturf, and it ends up that it was paved with wee wee pads. And uh, <laughs> and I got into I got into the dogs, and we were every bit as competitive as the people in the dog show world. It's just it wasn't quite as physically demanding on us, but. Still, um, it, it is about the, the sport. I mean, I used to laugh with Joe Garagiola, who was my partner at Westminster for nine of my 27 years, um, about whether dog shows was a sport or not. And I said, yes, it's a sport. We are competitive. We are judging our dogs. We're not judging them based on how fast they get from point A to point B, but rather on how they can do their job that they were being bred to do. And to, and to do that as a judge, to judge them, you have to be able to picture the dogs doing what they were bred to do. You don't always get a chance to do that in the show range. You have to be able to know what they were bred to do. You have to be able to know what that means to, uh, to form and function. And, uh, and if you're a good judge, if you're going to judge sight sounds, you better have gone out to the competition in, in the field uh, for lure coursing and things like that. So, um and I think that's all part of it. But the dogs are athletes. The handlers have to be good athletes, too. And obviously, you know, the little six-pound dogs are a little different than the, than the 80-pound dogs that run like the wind. Um, but still, they were bred for a purpose. And mm-hmm. that purpose is to sit in your lap, and I want them to be able to sit in my lap and do that well. 
Right. Well, and if you think about it, it's also about performance on a particular day. I mean, the reason why games are played is it doesn't matter how they match up on paper. It's who performs when they're there. And one of my favorite stories that we've talked about before, again, was another local dog, which is Josh, back in 2004, the (laughs) Newfoundland, Mm -hmm. who won Best in Show. And the reason I still believe that he won was because of the fact that he took command of the crowd. And he was barking at the crowd, Mm -hmm. and the crowd was encouraging him. And the two of them were feeding off each other. You know, the great handlers know how to play the dog to the crowd. And if, and Josh, and I remember that night well, and he was handled by Michelle Scott, who we were just talking about. But but he came back to the ring and let out a couple of little wolves, Newfoundland-sized wolves. And, and the crowd lit up with that. In 2008, Uno, the Beagle, did the same thing, came back to the judge and stood there and went, ooh, and the crowd just lit up. And when it was over and the best in show judge pointed at him, I thought, I thought, Don Jones, I thought the crowd was going to charge the, the floor just like it would have had the Knicks on the world championship. <laughs> and uh, it was one of the great moments in the history of that show. Well, great show dogs ever. Oh, no question about it. Well, we need to take our first break, but when we come back, we'll continue the conversation and talk about your evolution with dogs and some of the other things that you've done with them. Our guest today, David Fry, who is the announcer of the National Dog Show on NBC, and we'll be back right here on 1320. W-I-L-S. Welcome back to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Here are your hosts, Rick Bruce and Lee Cohen. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And with me here in the studio is Dr. Will Schultz. And on the line, we have with us David Fry, who is... For virtually all of us out there, the voice of dog shows and has been for the better part of uh, three decades. And David, in addition to that, one of the things that I don't know that everyone knows, but a lot of people do, is I was laughing when I saw a Facebook post that you put up about getting your residual checks from your movie, <laughs> from your movie appearance. Uh, can you talk with our listeners about your movie experiences and just how you know, rich those residuals are making you? <laughs> it, was, it was for the television series for Sex and the City. Which was, of course, the highlight of my life. <laughs> All these other things I do, you know, I got to hang around with Sarah Jessica Parker and Kristen Davis, and and all of them. Um, they they had a storyline going on late in this series. We um, were show number eighty one, the Cold War from you know, Sex and the City. But it was where Kristen had a Cavalier of all things. This was back in two thousand and four that we taped it, and it aired in two thousand and five, and. And they were doing a dog show scene when they wanted to take, have Kristen take her Cavalier to a dog show. And they asked me if I would appear as, and play the judge. I said, well, that's typecasting, but yeah, I'd love to do that. So, so I play the judge on the show and Kristen, you know, beautiful woman comes into the ring with this lovely little Cavalier and I'm judging her. And, and and the basic storyline is that I never look at the dog, I only look at Kristen, and she gives me the smile and a wink, and I send her on her way and say, you're number one, ma'am. And, and so 
And the funny thing with that is that a few years later, she had done the, uh, the show, The Shaggy Dog, the remake of The Shaggy Dog for the, the Disney show. And, uh, and she was at Westminster, and our floor reporter caught up with her, and, and we did a back and forth. I was up in the booth, but we did a back and forth, and the floor reporter was playing into it and said, now, Kristen, uh, the talk was that you and Dave had something going on the side after the show. And I said, well, I said, well, we're going to leave that for people to just have for their imagination. But <laughs> anyway, I did the show. I did the show and, uh, and got paid scale. You know, I'm a huge guy. I got paid scale. And, and the next time that it aired, it aired early in 2005 was its first airing, 2005. It is still airing today. So this is, what, 18 years later. And every time it airs as a repeat, I get a residual check. And when I first started getting them, they were like, you know, a hundred bucks or something, you know, for a short period of time, they were a hundred and then they dropped it 60 and then they dropped whatever. So now after 28 years, uh, or sorry, 18 years, I, um, I still get a residual check every time that show airs. And it is a lot because people always call me, Hey, I'm seeing you right now on TV. And, and 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 I get a residual check that's usually less than a dollar. And <laughs> oh, wow. I've got a check around here that was two cents. <laughs> and I had carried it around with me for a, the longest time, thinking I might run into Sarah Jessica somewhere. Uh, we, we would occasionally show up at animal functions because uh, I wanted her to autograph it. And uh, never had the opportunity to do that. But I still have that check. I saw it the other day. <laughs> and uh, two cents. I think my W two income audit it repeated enough times it was it was more than two cents, but it was usually not much more than a dollar by the time the union got the check, got the money, and split it up and sent me my share. That uh, uh, I think last year my W two form for that was like thirteen dollars wow. total. It's, so, it's not worth the money it's, it's printed on. No, no, but it's, but it's fun to be able to talk it about is. and laugh. And now I don't even get a check; it's just an auto deposit from the SAG after people and and. Uh, and so it's fun. I have, a, I have a great time being able to talk about it. Because it obviously, the money isn't going to do anything. But I used to say, I said, when you see me on TV, you know that I'm having a cocktail on on the check that I just am about to get. And then I said, okay, now I'm getting a bag of M&Ms on the check that I get. <laughs> and now I'm going to have it's going to have to show another few times before I can get a bag of M&Ms. But, um, well, that was actually, it is very fun. Well, that was actually the joke of a Seinfeld episode. So, uh, with your Seinfeld connection, <laughs> I figured I would bring. That's right. That's, that's I would, right. I mean, Jerry had a sore hand from signing all of them because the show that he did was playing in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that we got to Japan, but we but we did have a great time with the show, and 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 uh, and I, it was fun because people. The, the dog, the columnist for Dog News wrote a column about it and referred to me as a lecherous dog show judge. Nice. And, <laughs> and uh, so we laughed about that for a while, and uh, and it was just it'll live forever. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, now I got all these connections with John Hurley, of course, who's Mr. Peterman on Seinfeld. But John is my 21 year partner with the National Dog Show oh, on right. Thanksgiving Day. Right. So. Um, I'm all over. I'm all over it. And when I walked into the makeup trailer that night, uh, just to set my night off before I went on, um, I walked in the makeup trailer and Sarah Jessica was sitting there with her back to me, but looking in the mirror, the huge mirror in front of her. And as I walked past her, she said, Hey, she says, 
I know you. You're the dog guy. Said, oh, my God. The dog, you can take me now because Sarah Jessica just recognized me. Yeah. So I, said, I said, well, I've seen you on TV too, Sarah Jessica. And so thank you for having me here. And it was great fun. I had a great time. Right. And, uh, I, and I, really, I do say to people, that's the highlight of my life. I know all these other things. More uh, so than even the dog show movie? <laughs> I, well, we, I was never in the dog show movie. There was a role in there based on me, but yeah, um, yeah there was. But I wasn't in it. And yeah, the role was kind of the dull guy that was with Fred Willard. And Fred Willard was, I think, an obvious takeoff on Joe Garagiola, who was my partner at the time. And uh, and 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 people, we loved that movie. It came out in two thousand, and uh, and it and it brought us audience that you can't believe. And it brought us continued reference to it in any PR that we do on the dog show. And I said, listen, uh, dog show was uh, best in show. Was that, is that really what it's like? I said, well, I said, yeah, I said, I said, and, and the nice thing about the movie was they did not make fun of the sport. They did not make fun of the dogs. They only made fun of the people. <laughs> What's and very interesting. We are, we are a target-rich environment in yeah. terms of, of the dogs like any other. What was animal. interesting about that movie is in our clinic, as everybody watched the movie, we named each client as to their part in that movie. <laughs> and I know that happened universally around many veterinary clinics that deal with dog show people. But we had everybody and a lot of clients came in. And so, so what do you think? I said the movie is too tame. Uh, what we actually saw and what you would see at dog shows takes that to another level. And, yeah, and people was, couldn't imagine. I said they 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 toned it down a little too much, but it was still fun. So I have another question and, quickly. And as I say, people people tend to watch our show, our show on television because of it. They say right. wanted to find out if it was like the movie because right. they watched the movie first before they ever watched the dog show. Right. So and, when, and then of course we had a great following in the sport. When you're doing this, um, I know some other people that do uh, ringside announcing for sports. Do you? bring out a different voice and a different tenor when you do these? I don't think so. Or do you just do, oh, that just changed. <laughs> that did. T- <laughs> okay. Oh, I, try to, I just try to, I mean, that's who I am. And I think that's, I think that's what helps uh, cement the identity with the sport is that people do recognize the voice if they yeah, are, absolutely. if they are fans. And, um, and then that's kind of fun, a fun burden to bear. Yeah. Um, but it also, I think we just, uh, I, I've seen sports announcers for years because of my work. I, I mean, I was a publicist for NBC, for AC sports, Monday night football. So I had Howard Cosell and mm. Don Meredith and Frank Gifford were my guys. And, uh, and I worked for those teams. And that, so I hung around with people that was the good OJ right. Simpson and, um, uh, and and all those other TV sportscasters, and and they were fun to be around. Yeah. But they had their own identity. You knew who they were by just listening to them. Right. And uh, and I think we have a bit of that going. And then, and we don't have a ton of dog shows on TV like you have. You know, twenty football games with right. some more more County College every weekend. So um, so that's what makes it fun know that I'm a bit unique and that there are only so many of us who are in that category and, and that's fun. But, but Doc Emmerich, the great hockey announcer, he actually lives in Michigan, but he, um, he's an NBC guy and the greatest hockey announcer ever. Agreed. And, uh, and, and 
Doc has become a friend of mine through all of this um, because he worked in dog rescue and he was a good friend of a good friend. And, and uh, we ended up being on the same show together and, and, and did a little performance together where where he was asked, says, okay, Doc, you're describing a dog show at Westminster. <laughs> Do the play-by-play. And boom, boom, boom. He does, you know, he describes a dog run, run, run. And then he, and, and the guy says, okay, Dave, now you describe a hockey game. I said, oh, my God. I said, <laughs> that's a little different. So I tried to imitate Doc Emmert when he was calling a game in the garden where uh, a guy named Shepard was playing for, uh, I think, the Rangers and a guy named Boxer was playing for Pittsburgh. And they, and they came together in a crash in, at the garden in the playoffs. And Doc Emmert says, and uh, here in the home of the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show, Shepard and Boxer are mixing it up in the corner. Ah, uh, so, there you go. <laughs> so, so those are the kinds of things. I just uh, The things that I've gotten to do in my life, whether it's ride right on a float. Do you hear my dog snoring back here, by the way? I don't, no, you're, don't want you're, you to think that's no, me. No, put the mic close. <laughs> no, you're fine with that. Okay. You're fine with that. But I will say, David, we need to go to another break. Although before we do, I will say you do change your pronunciation slightly with that Bouvier de Flan. <laughs> so, so bottom line is uh, there is some, but we will take a my, break. My, my, my high school French teacher is going to be writing you tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we'll be back right here at 1320. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning with David Fry, who is the host of the National Dog Show on Thanksgiving Day on NBC. And joining in the questions with me is Dr. Will Schultz. Uh, David... We've talked a little bit about the dog show part of your life, some of the media things that you've done. Let's talk a little bit about what you've done with your private time, because what a lot of people don't know is how much effort you've put into your dogs, your service dogs, and an organization that you founded and you wrote a book about it called Angel on a Leash. Tell our listeners about that. Well, when I when I first... When, when I, when we were first uh, in Seattle and just about to move to New York, I got involved with therapy dogs here in Seattle and moved to New York and got in, uh, through the help of my friend, Karen LaFrac, got involved with therapy dogs in New York, going to the different hospitals and things. And from that, I, I created a charity called Angel on a Leash. That was a 501c3 charity in about 2004. And at the time, uh, we were partnering with Westminster and uh, that lasted a couple of years before we were overwhelmed by by what was going on with our dog. So we we created our, uh, it into our own uh, entity and um, created and advocated first advocated created and administered therapy dog programs in different healthcare facilities around New York City, but uh, but also other places around the country. But but mostly in New York because I was living in New York and and got a lot of our dogs. We created therapy dog programs in places where they had never had a dog before. The Ronald McDonald House in New York City, like uh, for kids with cancer, um, they had never had dogs in there before. Um, at the Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, the world famous cancer center, um, had never had dogs before. We created a, a pilot program for them, 
in, on one floor in, in six months. It was on every floor in the hospital except one. And uh, other places like that, too, where people say, geez, we've never had a dog in here before. I said, you know, the great thing is that the medical professionals, the people who work here, see the dogs at work, and they become our greatest advocates. And, and, and we have to deal with administrators who say, oh, no, we can't have dogs in here, and, and pretty soon they're overwhelmed by the requests and the success. I used to joke with the people at Sloan Kettering that uh, was always on the U.S. News and World Report as the number one cancer center in America. And then one year they dropped to number two behind MD Anderson in Houston. And I, and that was the year that they decided they were going to have, and MD Anderson had a great therapy dog program. And that was the year that Sloan Kettering decided that maybe they should have a, a therapy dog program too. And I used to joke with them about it. I said, you weren't so worried about therapy dogs when you were number one. I said, and now when you got to number two, <laughs> yeah. you figured it out that the therapy dogs can make a difference in, in how you deal with your clientele. Well, well, there's no doubt they can make a difference. And you've paid attention and, and been involved with the human-animal bond. What is What are your views about that? Because there are some people who believe it's just a lot of psychological mumbo-jumbo. But I'd be the first to say just by virtue of what I've seen with people and dogs. I remember sitting in a senior care facility in the lobby waiting to see somebody and a woman who looked to be literally just just comatose and you question if this person was alive. All of a sudden, a little poodle comes walking up to her and she springs to life. And is petting the dog, loving the dog. Then the dog goes away and she returns to that catatonic state where you did not know what this person was. What's your view on that, David? Are you a big advocate on that? And how, how do we get more people to understand it if you are? Huge. Well, I, I hope that we do that every time we talk about it on the air and, and or in, in person or in speaking engagements around the country. That um, that anybody who has a dog knows inherently that when you interact with that dog, you're you're going to feel better. And and uh, through the years, the science has backed us up and it's shown that when you interact with a dog, your blood pressure goes down, your heart rate slows, um, your respiratory rate slows, you 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 have an increase in the flow of good hormones. And so that's the science to it. And and if the healthcare facilities couldn't figure that out, then then we never would have been in there. But like I say, the, the professionals who work there say they've seen it. They've seen it work. They know when a dog walks into the room, the energy changes. And that and that's for good and, and for people that smile when they haven't smiled for a while or to uh, think about something other than the challenges they may be facing in a healthcare facility. And it doesn't have to be just seniors, but Grace and I, my, my great Brittany, who passed last summer, uh, the world's greatest therapy dog I've ever been around, besides James, the, the, the springer. Um, but uh, but when, when Grace and I would go places, people would light up and they'd smile. And, and I knew that when we went into the Ronald McDonald house and the kids start smiling, uh, my friend uh, Bill Sullivan, who was the CEO there, would say to me, you know, when you make the kids smile, you make the parents smile. And suddenly... Uh, things aren't quite so tough anymore for the moment, at least. And it's for the moment. I mean, dogs live their lives in the moment, which is what makes it so good at this. They don't bear any grudges. They don't have any preconceived notions about 
what's good and what's not good. Everybody's got a fair chance coming to them. And so, so that's what the dogs create. But also, uh, when, when Grace and I went to the, we went to the VA hospital every Wednesday in New York City for six years. And, um, and Grace would be met at the door, literally. I mean, we'd go in, we'd do these bedside visits, and, my, and Grace would crawl into bed, and so would Angel on occasion, crawl into bed with these patients and, uh, and get them to smile and talk and do things that they hadn't normally wouldn't do a lot of unless they were uh, motivated by having a dog. But, but I would also be met by the physical therapist and the occupational therapist who would take Grace in and get her to work with their patients who needed to get some motivation to do the physical and, and occupational therapy stuff. And they would say to me, he says, your dog just got my patient to do in 10 minutes what I've been trying to get him to do all week long. Amazing. And that's, you, you know, you, you, it, it, physical therapy can be boring, it can be painful, it can be, you know, not, not the, the greatest thing to get people going. But when the dog's in there and you're working with a guy who's got a new prosthetic limb, and he's learning how to give her, her a treat or how to pet her with that arm or, or to brush her and, and to take some steps with her or things like that. But um, the dogs can do great work, and, and uh, I'm just to have been able to watch it. Yeah, that's a, that's a very fulfilling thing for the dog and for you. I mean, the dogs really enjoy doing this too. They really do, and I think that's, uh, I think that's part of the responsibility that comes with that is that is that you get the dogs in there to the patients and then basically stay out of their way. I mean, you've got to protect the dog. You've got to protect the patient so the dog doesn't step in somebody's sutures or get tangled up in their, in their tubes and, and cause a problem. But basically, um, uh, I was on the Today Show a few years ago, and, and, uh, and I was asked, I said, what are you thinking about when you're putting the dog in the bed with you? I said, I'm thinking about just staying out of their way. Let the kid interact with the dog. Let the senior interact with the dog. We've interacted with Alzheimer's patients who, who only spoke gibberish. And, and, and uh, I had a crew, TV crew following me around one morning, and we went to a, a room that I'd never seen this guy before, the VA hospital. And I said, uh, Annie, how come I've never seen this guy? She said, well, we don't visit him normally. I said, why not? She says, he's, well, he's almost 90. He's in the early stages of Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, he, he starts yelling uh, in gibberish whenever anybody comes in his room and he's upset. I said, okay, we're going in. <laughs> we're going in. That's exactly where we got to go. And so Grace goes in, and, and I hold her up to him, and he puts his hands on either side of her face and brings her gently to him and starts talking to her and looks at me and talking to me in gibberish. And I said, that's right. Her name is Grace. We come here every week. And, and he says something else in gibberish. I said, yeah, she's beautiful. And she does great stuff. Wow. So, and I look over at Annie, who's been living with this guy in the hospital all these years, for a couple of years at least, and she's crying because she's never seen the guy react that way. And uh, wow. I'm crying just telling the story. Yeah. But it, uh, the things that happened there um, were just unbelievable because the guy, speaking in gibberish, I didn't know what he was saying, but I gave him something to respond to, and maybe he understood it, maybe he didn't, but he was smiling. He was smiling, and he was uh, having having the best day that he's had in a long time. And we did that every day. We talked for a week. Well, David, I can't think of a better story to end on than that one. Uh, But unfortunately, Dr. Schultz, we don't get to talk anymore because we're out of time. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show here on 1320 WILS.